and 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 like it's like you go back in time but no one there realizes that they're like 20 years in the past yeah i want to be clear when we say <laughs> i think these these are not like just you know casual like oh it's got like a seaside vibe these are like no it's over the top the Dolly yeah. Parton room, the Nessie, the Sea Monster room. Why are you yeah, talking about I the Madonna Inn? I stayed there at the race. That's it. Wait, that's the it. Madonna Inn, yeah. That's gosh, the man, one. Guys. But why are we talking about Sausalito? Why are we talking about Sausalito when the race finished in in uh, Morro Bay today? I don't know. That's the best. <laughs> I just got on the. I just got in the groove. And. We don't start in Sausalito tomorrow either. So uh, you guys, I, I'm, I'm not talking about, not talking about not even, I, I thought we were talking about San Luis Obispo. Or, why am I talking about San Luis Obispo? No idea. I don't know either. You guys were just on, you guys were going, you were flowing. So, but then I had to put the I brakes on. because Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> but Madonna Inn. I mean, you, Madonna Inn is world yeah, famous. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Former Olympic medalist and Tour de France podium finisher, Coach Bobby J invites you to put your socks on. Winning and losing, training and racing, agony and defeat, all of it comes down to understanding what works and what doesn't. For that, you need an experienced and accomplished coach. From insightful analysis into our sport's most iconic races and racers, to educational, entertaining, and actionable advice. Fizzo is an illuminating deep dive into the art and science of racing. Legends, fan clubs, at the races, super fans, and how it all works. Join Coach Bobby J alongside his outskirts visionary co-host, Gus Morton. Prepare to be prepared. It's time to put your socks on. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sports Most Insightful Podcast. My name is Gus. And with me today, Bobby J, as always. How's it going, man? I'm doing well. How is everyone out there? Nice. And in the background, we have our Manual for Speed visionary, our producer, to uh, keep this train on the tracks. Fellas, should we start the show? I'm ready. Let's do it. I'd love to start Let's do it. Can I, can I start with some, some fun facts about the day? Yeah, give us, give, us the, uh, give us the green light. Okay, well, so it's stage four, Laguna Seca, Tomorrow Bay, 214.5 kilometers, I've got a note here that says the weather was lumpy along the coast. Nine mile, nine miles, <laughs> nine mile an hour winds. Very specific wind number there. Also, the, my notes also say that it was um, the course description was lumpy. So we have lumpy weather and a lumpy course. So that's great. Who's, who's um, writing this show? <laughs> I think that, I think that would be you. Not me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So and then Bobby, what? Yep. What happened today? What what happened in stage four of the Tour of California? Well, not much different than we expected, that's for sure. I mean, going down the coast there, you know, we've all done it. We all know what's in store. It was just kind of what's in store as far as the weather goes. Is it a headwind? Is it going to be cold? Is it going to be raining? Um, obviously, it rained a little bit, but not too much. I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't have the beautiful sunshine that we were talking about mm. yesterday. You know, that breakaway got off uh, right away, well represented by a bunch of young American guys, which I really like to see. But, you know, it was 
definitely setting it up as soon as that break got up and they only gave him a short leash. Um, I knew very early on that it was going to come down to one of those just schlogs, as you guys say, and <laughs> finishing, finishing in a sprint. And, you know, those are always dangerous stages, as we saw today, because, you know, guys are sitting on the wheels all day. Um, you know, the breakaway is not that far out. It's not that dangerous. But then, yeah, in that last 10, 15K, when you get off that road and start making all the little loop-de-loos and the, the loop around Morro Bay, everyone has a chance. And we saw some, some nervous guys, maybe, maybe some, some tired guys making some mistakes that they normally mm -hmm. wouldn't make. And then, you know, the race dynamic really changed when TJ Van Garderen crashed there uh, well outside of the three-kilometer limit to get the same time as the peloton so that just threw a wrench in the works and it was just yeah one, it just what a nightmare one so one reoccur one bad thing after another happened to him and then there was another crash and um you know came down to a, a sprint which we we all kind of thought would happen but it was a little bit disappointing for me because after sitting on the wheels all day sit keeping his powder dry for for especially mount baldy then you have just mm. a little touch of wheels kind of derail the whole thing. And now, now, now it's, now it's going to be tough for them because, you know, you don't like seeing a guy in the yellow Jersey lose time, but the race was full on at that time. No one was going to wait for him. And um, yeah, it was such a tough spot, right? Like just inside that realm of being like the group should wait, you know, cause it was on a straight road, like an unfortunate accident. But then you like, it's so close to the end, like the sale, the spinnaker was already up and they were, they were, they were they were hunting by then, so it was like there's no stopping that. Train yeah, I, it, it was a it was a drag race to that turn, basically off the big road mm. onto the smaller roads, and yeah. every director was sh shouting in in the rider's ear, like guys got to be in the good position when you make that turn, and yeah, just terrible timing, terrible timing. I felt really really bad for him. And then yeah, uphill sprint, third day in a row for Quick Step, which was which ex exceptional. Uh, that team have been riding so well. Fabio Jakobsen uh, over Jasper Philipsen and then Peter Sagan. So it's like the new guard, the new guard of sprinters um, really starting to shine through and, and get some consistency going, which is which was cool to see. Before we go and sort of unpack like what happened with, with Van Garder, and I just wanted to say, I, I had an epiphany halfway through this stage and I was like, what is this stage doing in this race? 215Ks. It's the third day they've done over 200Ks. It was long. It was straight. Yeah, I get it. The scenery's nice. But, like, if I want to see the PCH, I'm Googling, you know, Lethal Weapon 4, for example, and I'm going to get some nicer, you know, nicer shots of it. So, like, I don't know. I just had this thing. I was like, what are they doing out there? You know, there's no point to this. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I was, like, ain't quite angry. <laughs> I woke myself up. I was like, I got up at 5 a.m. to watch this. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like the era of 200-kilometer-plus stages – that are just flat, like transfer stages, they should be gone. Like, because the race isn't about getting from A to B, right? It should, it should be entertaining. There should be stuff happening all the time. I mean, Otherwise, what's the point of it? We have highways, planes, and buses. If you're just trying to get from A yeah. to B, we have yeah, exactly. the resources exactly. to do that. I just, I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> you know, I'm, okay, I'm going to- 100% agree with you. Exactly. They make you transfer. I've done some horrible transfers in the Tour of California, so they clearly don't give a fuck about the athletes and having to do transfers anyway. So, yeah, they should just, they should, I don't know. I just feel like modern era of cycling, it's changed. Let's let's modernize it. And and today's stage was a dinosaur, in my opinion. Um, I, I agree I'm with you. I've had my rant. <laughs> it's a perfect word for it. It was great 
the first year or two, but now mm. it is just getting from point A to point B. There's not much there. I mean, you know, we we did pass the Hearst Castle, which is a really cool castle. That's cool. It's not like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in America we have castles. And That's having true. visited that myself um, back during a charity event for Best Buddies back in 2008, it was an amazing thing. But like, yeah, what are you gonna do? jump off your bike and take a couple of photos there, like halfway through have lunch. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. maybe, but yeah, yeah, I, I have to agree What's with you. I think time? Just time, time segments. Yeah. Time segments yeah, would be good. You know, something that's, that's a great idea. You know, we always said, how do we make cycling more fun and mm. motivate more people want to do it? Why don't we have like yeah. a little stop, you know, everyone stops for lunch. Then you start yeah. off again. Yeah. You, you break, know, I know yeah, if you're going to do those sort of long stages um, after what they've already done, and keep in mind, they yeah. have another long one tomorrow. tomorrow. Tomorrow, they flick off the coast a little bit more, so we'll have a little bit more up and down, a little bit more climbing. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, yeah, today, I'm sorry, it was, it, was, it was a little bit of like riding the home trainer, the old home trainer, Before. like staring at your garage door. Yeah, you know it's a boring day when the commentators, all they have to talk about is speculating how bored the riders are and what they're probably talking about. <laughs> uh, should we talk about, um, obviously, the Van Garderen incident? That's what I'm calling it. Um, poor dude, man. He's had a tough few years, and the team is riding so exceptionally well. And then, as you said, like, tired, nervous bunch, end of a long day, just went down. He was the only guy, got a bike change, took, um, took Lockie's bike, and... and which all seems fine. And then of course he gets to the first corner in the race and straight lines it. And everyone's you're sort of wondering what the hell's happening. And then I realized that Lockie runs his ba- brakes back to front. He runs his brakes Aussie style. So he was grabbing a whole ah. handful of, of rear brake when, when he thought that he was grabbing the front brake. Gosh, um, that, so that, that makes sense now. Holy yeah, yeah, cow. yeah. Yeah. Which, cause I was, you know, of course you look at it, you're like, what's he doing? Um, yeah. But that, that's so like, just like that happened. And then as they get back into the group again, <laughs> this crash that takes out half the peloton and it really, it flipped the race on its head. Um, quite a few guys got caught in that crash. Wow. Um, that That's super interesting. Cause I know that Cadell Evans used to run his brakes like that, but how, like what's the percentage of Australian <coughs> guys that run their brakes that way compared to the way that the rest of the world runs them? Meaning that it's so weird. The rear brake, like the rear brake, is on the mm. left and the front brake is on the right. What is exactly. the percentage? Do all you guys do it? Well, like all our bikes come when you buy them from the store. I think it's legally they come that way, and I guess it's to do with like being able to signal. Uh, that's t- I'm just guessing there. Um, but I switched mine when I first turned pro. The the team, like when I was like 18, um, the team made me switch because they're like, if you switch bikes for this exact reason. If you change bikes with someone and your brakes are around the wrong way or you get on the spit, you know, like then you're going to eat shit because of that. Like I, I switched long ago, um, but I guess Lockie never did. And it's just one of those little idiosyncrasies that you can kind of like you get to have. But I mean, today, like potentially, potentially cost cost TJ the tour of California. Yeah, because the whole team dropped back there for him. And what I didn't understand yeah. is why Rigoberto Oran went back for him. You know, Taylor Finney, Lawson Craddock. You know, your brother was out yeah. of the picture, obviously, but you know, you just need two or th- you know two guys to kind of m- manipulate your way, navigate your way through the the back of the cars. 
And I yeah. thought that Rigoberto was kind of also being looked after as a GC guy. They let they left uh, Higuita up in the front, and you know yeah. him being the first way race with with EF in a World Tour race. I I don't know how much help he would have been going through there anyway. I I didn't understand that. I know it was a moment of panic, and you're all in for TJ. He's the leader. When something like that happens, I I, I would have hedged my bets a little bit and left Rigo up in the front as well. And I I don't know how exactly. much time if if Rigo lost even more time than TJ did because the results yeah, aren't yeah, totally official yet but yeah you're, you're just taking he, did, yeah. he, he lost more time because I, I saw that yeah, tj lost did. what about 45 seconds 47 seconds yeah, he lost, yeah exactly um he's down 40 he think he's 47 on the overall so he lost like a bit more than that but that's one what you're just saying now i i'd actually had written this as a note when i was watching like just before the crash happened george bennett had to do a bike change and he had a teammate wait for him and come back and then like and I, you you would have like you've come through the convoy you know million times as well it's always easier on the car and so like i always find it so ridiculous when they send five guys back and then all four of them are sitting by behind their main dude when the main dude's on the bumper of the car jumping through back through the, the peloton the guys behind him are just sitting in the wind getting smashed and that's exactly it like you only need one guy to guide you back through the cars because otherwise you know the other you're just wasting the other half because they're just sitting in the wind Anyway, so I was like exactly that. that you like, like you just need one or two. Like you need Finney to just go back and grab him and just bring him through the cars. I mean, then, then that second accident split the the, the convoy up, and, and that's a different story, obviously, um, and super unlucky. But initially, I was like, they, they can just get in the cars, just use the cars. You know, like the convoy's there; it's part of the race. Just get that wheel all the way back on. So anyway, it was interesting, and and, and like for them now, I mean, fortunately, Huguita managed to, to stay up there and not lose any time or lose a couple of seconds to the sprinters. Yeah, it's gonna. I mean, it's obviously gonna change the race, and and we'll see. Maybe there'll be a nice long bomb on Saturday. Maybe they'll uh, they'll set it up and, and and send it with TJ because he's obviously doing well. He's obviously going well. We just need to make sure if, if the results are official because I just looked on on one of the the websites and it looks like they may have changed a couple of things around. But bottom line was that that it was it was bad luck that's bike racing that happens but yeah when when you're sitting on the wheel for 200k and then all of a sudden everyone is amped up for the last you know 10k that sort of stuff yeah. happens and especially when you put some you know smaller roads and tricky little corners mm. and you know there's never going to be anything that you can do to avoid that besides maybe breaking it up and changing the stage a little bit but you know we're yeah. not race promoters and um, yeah, I don't claim to be an expert on planning. So, and and that's bike racing, right? You know, these things happen. Let's let's check back in at the end of the before at the end of the app with the results and just see if they're official yet. Because yeah, as we're recording this, they're, they're still not. They're, they're still yeah, could be a bit of over those. But anyway, um, aerodynamics. That's the theme I, of the show today. Wait, I'm really glad you check. brought that up because we forgot to introduce the theme of the show at the top of the show. The so I've been waiting to say I've been. Waiting patiently, waiting to say aerodynamics at some point. Exactly, yeah, aerodynamics. And I think today is a good, as they, you know, in the sport of, of marginal gains, um, aerodynamics is is becoming a big thing. And time spent in the wind, you know, like that's the biggest resistance, right? Is is moving through through the air. It's the hardest thing to to do to push through, right? Um, on stage like today, you're out there for hours, little crosswindy little head windy what's what's yeah what's like the significance of aerodynamics in in modern cycling and and uh and how's it changed over the years bobby well the significance is huge and you got to remember 
you know, everything that we're buying out there, those aero water bottle cages, the aero helmets, the aero wheels, the aero bike, you know, that makes up a very small part of the overall CDA. The the coefficient of aerodynamic drag um, yeah. is actually produced by the rider himself, not necessarily all this fancy equipment that that we're, we're buying to make ourselves faster. So there not only are the, the wheels, the bikes, the skin suits going into the wind tunnel to get faster, but also the mm. rider's position on the road bike. You know, back in the day, you know, when you went into a wind tunnel, you just went into a wind tunnel to look at your time trial position. And then, exactly. then all of a sudden, all of a sudden sprinters are going in and, and looking at their position when they're sprinting. Uh, you're looking at your position when, you, when you're on the road now with all your roads set up. Yeah. So it is a big thing because, I mean, any conservation of energy through aerodynamics, I think, is worth your time. And now it's just, it's the Wild West. I mean, everything's getting lighter. Everything's getting more aero. Um, I even saw new skin suits that look like wetsuits that triathlete guys use with the zipper in the back. You know, mm. they're thinking of everything. Yeah. Um, you know, 15 years ago, if you showed up to a start of a road race with a skin suit on, you were laughed out of the Peloton. But I think it was Dave <laughs> exactly. Zabriskie. I think it was American Dave Zabriskie that showed up for the first time in a road race with a skin suit on. And yeah, everyone made fun of him. But, you know, oh, for he, sure. he was thinking about saving watts. And now, like even in the classics, these guys basically have a one piece singlet on or, you know, skin suit of some sort. Yeah, fully. Exactly right. Like that's a, uh, yeah, like I remember when I used to race back in the day in uh, at the big, like in beginning my career and exactly that like you know if someone wore a skin suit you'd be like idiot and then and then at the end of the career end of my career that's all i wore was the speed suit like i just gave up and i was like yeah okay i need all the help i can get um but coming to that realization was a tough one that's for sure the first day i i put a skin i put the skin suit on for like a 200k stage i was like mate you've gone to the dogs <laughs> um but that's it, it makes a big difference and like even with aero bikes like on a stage like say for example obviously today dead flat like you're going to be using deep wheels and aero stuff but a stage like yesterday you know where there's a huge horse cat in the middle of the race big big climb um but it's downhill to the finish like are you using an aero bike is it is it worth the, is, is the aero gain worth the extra weight that you're going to be pushing? I think you have to find a median there. And, you know, this yep. question kind of outdates me a little bit um, mm -hmm. because when, when we were racing, you had basically one bike. Now yep. there's teams that have three or four different bikes, right? Now you got rim, rim brake bikes, you have disc brake bikes, you have disc aero brake, bikes, yeah. you have climbing bikes, you have all these options that must be an absolute mm. nightmare for these mechanics to, to keep up with. But when in, in 2004, when I was at CSC, we had a sponsor, uh, Cervelo, and mm -hmm. I really liked their, their bikes. And in 2005, they moved to a carbon aero bike. And let me tell yep. you, when you got on the front and CSC, Team CSC was on the front quite a bit in 2005, and yep. you had aero wheels that we we had zip wheels back then and that cervello carbon soloist bicycle man you felt like you could go a lot faster and a lot longer on the front it was it was a big yeah. advantage i thought and a lot of it came from the wheels but the aero bike that was cervello was one of the first ones that really kind of made that that aero bike thing click a little bit but Aero wheels have been around for a long time. Let's think back to 
you know, the spinergy wheels. Remember those? Um, that was kind of. was sick. You know, there there was uh, the tri spokes. Eight spoke wheels. <laughs> yeah. There was so many. There was so much vibe uh, in those. You know, the Shamal wheels, the lightweight wheels. One of the craziest set of wheels that I ever saw was when Frank Vandenbroek won the 1999 Liege-Bastogne-Liege. He had this mm. set of wheels, which I believe, I'm, it, it was light something. If it was lightweight, maybe that was it, or uh, something very similar. The spokes yeah. were not even spokes. They were, they were rope, like with this resin on what? the outside of the rope. Yeah. It was it was nuts because normally with aero wheels you're looking at bladed spokes or carbon bladed spokes or yeah dude VDP is but, VDP um, is just an ab like everything about him is absurd and that doesn't even surprise me that he had wheels made of rope. Guys, a I don't know a lot about manufacturing high high performance uh, bicycle <laughs> equipment, but I this is the first time. Well, not the first time. I guess the bamboo bike, but that's not even a high performance. This is the first time I've ever heard of an organic material being used in a yeah. high-performance bicycle equipment. Yeah, I never saw them after. To, to be honest, I saw them that one day. I never saw them after. And um, I, I, it, it, it was crazy. It was rope with, like, this resin on the outside to make it stronger or something, and they were super light. Makes sense. But, um, you know, you look at the evolution of the aero wheel, and, man, there have been some crazy – crazy things out there now they're pretty exactly. dialed in i mean there's a lot of companies that are making some very impressive fast sturdy wheels and now you know it, it's coming wider rims bigger tires you know yeah. better rolling resistance lower pressure in the tires you know back in the day you you would just you know pump them up to 110 psi and, and that was pretty standard now when i ride go riding i've got tubeless tires I've got aero wheels. I've got carbon carbon brake pads. There's so many things you have to think about when you're using an aero wheel. Like if you switched, um, you know, to a, to a normal aluminum uh, rim brake, you know, like if you had to switch out your wheel at a race or something like that, it's it's a totally different compound that they use in the in the brake pads. So, you know, it's there's a lot that's going into aerodynamics. So I believe that yeah. you have to find that balance between the weight and the aerodynamics but man if you find a bike that's that's aero um and not too much heavier than than your counterparts like maybe it's a little bit over the limit because what is the limit now 6.8 kilos yeah. 6.8 isn't it yeah still 6.8 kilos if you can get a bike pretty mm -hmm. close to that and be aero man i i i think i would pick that one um but yeah. then it comes down to the wheels more than anything you know when you're doing a uh, a hilly stage, you know, maybe you don't want the deep dish wheels. Maybe you do want the the smaller, you know, profile wheel. But I would and still. And that's a weight thing, right? Yeah, for the weight, I would still. Yeah. Error, and this is again a guy that never used an aero bike that are available today. Um, I would mm. still go for the for the aerodynamics. I think because, you know, if you're if you're pushing, you know, less watts through the wind, and have a lower Ultimately, CDA, that's better. You're conserving energy, yeah. And yeah. when you think about how we add weight during a stage, right? We have two water bottles in our in our in our bottle cages at almost all times. That's one kilo right yeah. there. You've got you know food two or three pockets. gels. You got food in your pockets. You got the mm. race radio. You know you got all these little gadgets. Yeah, why you got name the, more? 
you got your your head units for your direct force power meter. You got your power meter. You yeah. got all these other things. So I think you got to find that that balance. And obviously, the the taller guys, their bikes are bigger and with more material. It's going to weigh a little bit more. Yeah. But I remember back in the day, some of the guys would have to put weight on their bike just to be at the six point eight uh, UCI limit. You know, they legalized my Cannondale, the greatest cycling marketing campaign the world has ever seen. <laughs> they put Gilberto Simone, like they put the little weights on his Cannondale. It was like legalize my Cannondale, and he was like dressed like a a convict. It was so sick. Him and Canega. Wait, wait, that that is a good ad campaign. I just want to weigh in and oh, say that is yeah. that's funny. I like that. That's funny. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but to, to to what you're talking about as well, like uh, I wanted to go back because I actually went into the wind tunnel on a road bike, um, which like I never did it on the TT bike. Uh, I was never that good at, at, well, at any of it really, but I was in there on the road bike and, um, what was mind blowing, right? You talk like, you know, you're talking about, you add a head unit, you add a water bottle, you add all this stuff, you know, to, yeah, you're constantly adding little bits of weight. Um, it was really interesting how the difference between your hands on the hoods versus your hands on the tops versus bending your elbows versus straightening your elbows. Like if you ride around with straight elbows, it's like it was something like 90 seconds over 40k slower than if you bent your elbows. Um, and then, like, if you shave your legs versus hairy legs, similar number. Uh, but then, if you have a giant bushy beard, it makes no difference. Um, so it was kind of it was really interesting going in there and just seeing. I remember we came out of it and it was basically like, if you can manage to develop power while sitting on your top tube and ride along the flat, then you'll be super. <laughs> um, but sitting in a normal, like most of it was like, yeah. Uh, you can't, you can't really de develop power and be aero. It's, it's a balance. But um, wait a second. Interesting. Like, wait, 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 wait. You're saying all of these, yeah. all of these minor differences really contribute to a, a Dude, savings, it, yeah, right? in a massive way. But but yeah. beards, nope. No, no. I was like bullshit, and he was, and the and the aero dude that specialized was like, no, makes like almost no negligible. And I was like. I would want to see some, and, and, I want to know actually, more. I want to know more. Dude, I, when I was researching this, the current world record for the, for the um, individual pursuit, right? So, like, I mean, we could talk about the individual pursuit and all the crazy stuff that, like, Chris Boardman, the era, the Superman position and, and all that. But I think we'll touch on that in the, in, the time, in the time trial episode. I just wanted to touch on the guy who just broke the record. Um, and just give me a second here while I pull up his name because I'd never – I remember, like, I never heard of him. Um, one second. Okay. So the guy who broke um, the record, his name is Ashton Lambie. He's from the US. He took it last year. Um, and he has a massive mustache. And he did a 407 individual pursuit. Like, I don't know if you guys are into track, but that's ridiculous. Like, is that the guy that came off the, the dirt racing and won Dirty yeah, Panza? Or yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has, like, his... Um, his like Palmares is like the trans Kentucky, no, the trans Kansas record. And then underneath that is world individual pursuit record holder. And, and like the record before that was Jack Bobridge and Jack Bobridge's record broke Chris Boardman's record from 96. So like, that's, that's a hard record to beat. It's been standing for, you know, it's been standing for a while. Um, anyway, so there you go. He has a giant mustache. That's my point. Gus, I got a question for you since you were yep. in the, the wind tunnel there. So of the mm -hmm. three positions, um, and I'm curious, I have my opinion like yeah. yours. So riding <laughs> on the tops, riding on the hoods, yep. 
or riding down on uh -huh. the drops? Which position is faster on the flats? So that's a, that's a really, really, actually, that's another interesting thing. So the difference between on the hoods with your elbows bent, so like imagine them like not quite 90 degrees, but like, you know, you're kind of, you're tucking a little bit is I think it's like a little bit faster than if you were to ride. It's faster to, to, to ride with your arms bent than it is to ride straight arms on the drops. Like, so it's better to have your arms bent on the tops. It's more aero. Um, but then if on the drops and you really bend your elbows down and you, and you get super low, obviously that's faster. But basically what we kind of deduced, because we were doing this for Red Hook, um, or like, and, and I mean, I was just doing it for fun because it was interesting. But but for Red Hook, looking at it, and it made more sense to bend your elbows and be on the tops. That was more efficient and aero. And then when you were doing like you know a, a power move, you'd get really low on the drops. But otherwise, you just steer clear of the drops and stay on the hoods. Oh, and then the last so, question: When you see these guys, these young bucks nowadays, when they put their forearms on their the top of the bar and then kind of lean yeah. their hands over. Uh, they don't really have a grip on the handlebar, do they? They're they're just no. trying to emulate a time trial position. Is is that just as fast as as what we're talking it's the about? Same. It's, or is that yeah, it's about it's the, the same. same. Uh, yeah, from from memory, um, like I yeah, because I just, like this is a couple of years ago now, or actually it was a year ago, but I remember that like the biggest difference was bending your elbows and being on the tops. I think it might be slightly um, faster to to do it kind of like an aero bar, but you don't have any. You don't have any like um, torsional rigidity, so you can't lever off the handlebars. So that then takes away from your ability to produce power. So or like break. it's slightly more aerodynamic. I mean, you can control the bike, um, but I mean, I can't really comment because I've, I've I've done this before. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think like part of the 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 thing about being on the tops and being able to um, and being able to bend your elbows is that you still get the leverage of the handlebar. Um, so yeah, I, I would yeah, that's what I do. And I remember doing a, a road bike TT uh, in Tour of Alberta uh, a couple of years ago, and there was a big discussion um, about how where to put your hands. And it was ultimately it was like leave them on the on the on the hoods. Don't even do the don't even do the um, the hands on the like resting your hands like aero bars. Um, yeah, but I think that's well, a good segue to be like legalized spinaches, right? Let's bring back. Let's just. Let's bring back the legalized campaign. Let's bring back spinaches. Sold. Sold. Those were my favorite <laughs> things that I had on my bike. Did you use those? Mid oh, yeah. 96 and 97. Hell, yeah. And then I think oh, they dude, finally got outlawed. Well. They finally got outlawed because in a breakaway sprint finish in the Tour de France, I think his name was Stéphane Hulot from Francis de Joux. <laughs> he was sprinting the final sprint in his aero bars no and oh, oh, no. i'm sorry well, in I'm his spinachi bars and <laughs> and after that they were just like okay that's done that's done but just Dude, to wrap this up if, just to give a little cookie for something yep. that we could do in the future um wouldn't it be yep. cool because not everyone can afford to go in a wind tunnel with a road bike right or even with their time no. trial bike but wouldn't it be cool yeah i presume it's expensive wouldn't it be cool if there was a device out there that you could go out on a ride and have like a live CDA measurement and you could sit there and yeah. practice Do all these real little positions that we're talking about in the real world. Um, is this that an exist? app? Did you, just, did you just give, is this an app, Bobby? No, but I, you know, I like- No, 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 we're gonna make our no I'm saying, should, it be, should this be an app? Are, you, are, we, are you saying, hey, developers out there, 
we need this. Did app. we just create the next Google? I think it's been. I think it's out there already, and that's why I I, I oh, bring damn. it up. But that's for a later segment. Yeah, let's. You know, uh, you know, we'll yeah, we'll do sure. some research on that, and maybe we'll test it and uh, get back in the to field. the listeners with in the field. Get back to the listeners, and in then the uh, Coach yeah. guys, I I feel like this is a great time to to talk about what's going to happen in tomorrow's stage. But before we do that. I think we should. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should to speak with our super fan, who who is a super fan, and speaks on behalf <laughs> of um, all the cats one, two, three, four, and five out there who have questions for folks like yourself, professional, accomplished athletes. They they want to re- they want to they want to talk to you, and they have questions for you. And so, super fan is a proxy for the whole world in a sense. Um, and he has his own questions, of course. And speaking of questions, if you have questions, I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, text, text them to 503-754-7476. Superfan, that's his number. He will, he will answer your question. Or no, he will not answer your questions. He will select some of the better questions um, and uh, share them with uh, Coach Bobby Julik and Gus Morton. Um, Without, I mean, right now we should probably just hear from him. Are you there? Are you there, yeah. Superfan? He's there. I can tell you. I'm, I'm live. I'm live. Oh, Hi, here, guys. We, here he is. He's okay. Live. Here he is. Hi. I love hearing that guys, voice. I, I just, I just woke up. I fell, I fell asleep at about 15k to go, and I'm told TJ had a had a bad day today. I it's mean, yeah, it's not a surprise you fell it's, asleep. It's um, in the podcast. All of the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, uh, we make a show about it, and you can just listen to that. You don't cool. need to watch it. Listen, I got a I got a question for for Bobby. You know, riding for CSC back in the day, that was a team that was kind of always pushing technological boundaries with with Cervelo and and Zip and some of those um, companies. You know, what was the buzz when you guys first first were handed those those bikes and those wheels? I mean, you know, was, was everybody else kind of jealous? What was going on in the peloton where people? ready to accept all that technology or do they just see you guys going faster and uh, try to acquire it quicker? What happened? Yeah, I think there was actually a little bit resistance because remember, Cervelo was a very, very small bike brand at that time. And Mm. Bjarna really believed in it. And Bjarna really gave them a lot of feedback. And he he would get out there and test the bikes and say, nope, this is not light enough, or this is not stiff enough, or, you know, I want this to be aero, or could we do this, or we could we do that? And with a small company like that at the time, they were all in. Um, you know, with bigger companies, they have engineers that are like, you know, kind of trump what, what a DS or what a general manager or a team owner says. But those, yeah, the wheels, the combination of everything that we used, um, you know, what do they say that um, um, the biggest form of flattery, why am I blanking out on these sort of things? Imitation is the biggest form of flattery. So, yeah. you know, we were winning races. We were putting it in the gutter. We were, we had something, not only did we have good material, we had great team camaraderie. We had big engines and, you know, we, we, we did some amazing things together, but those, the combination of the aerodynamics, the, 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 focus on aerodynamics and speed uh all came from Bjorn Reese and you know they that is obviously played forward in the peloton all the way up to today because you know the whole marginal gains thing 
is is kind of I think a little bit based on on what what Bjarna's was looking at back in the in the early 2000s. So what is it? One of the things you just mentioned that's funny is, and I've always found funny about pro cycling is, you know, the technology, the advancements are pretty major, but it, there's usually resistance. It's usually slower, like compared to mountain bikes. I mean, in mountain biking, you know, the guys are just willing to push the boundaries. You know throughout the season they're picking up new technology and road cycling it's usually it has to be like one breakout performance right like Cancellara winning Roubaix on carbon wheels to me was like a huge moment where everybody was like ah oh, I gotta have carbon wheels and you started seeing all these amateurs show up to like you know training rides on carbon wheels all of a sudden like the next week what what was it why do you think that is what's what's that about I think we're a little bit mired in what worked 10, 20, 30 years ago. And, you know, especially on the pave, I think there are some opinions about what works and what doesn't. And yeah, we're, we have a deep history in this sport. There's a lot of people that, you know, raced, you know, 30, 40 years ago that are still involved with the sport that, you know, kind of like, hey, this is the way I did it. And it does take a, a different personality and an open mind, a risk taker, to, to try something new in one of the biggest races of the year. But, you know, with Peru Bay, you know, which is, you know, the, the ultimate testing ground for what you can and cannot do, um, I think it's like, oh, man, do we really want to risk this in the biggest race or do we want to go with what we know that worked? And, you know, Matt Heyman, um, who, who broke his arm, rode inside for, what, a month and a half or two months before uh, winning Peru Bay. He decided against all everyone telling him what to do, what bike to use. He chose the aero bike, basically his the aero bike that Scott put out that year, and he won Peru Bay on it. It wasn't some fancy thing with you know front shock, rear shock, this, that, the other mm. thing. It was it was a stock aero bike because it was the bike that he wanted to use, and it and it paid off, right? So I think every now and then you got to take risks, but you need to take those calculated risks because they're so so much on the line in these in these bigger races right i mean i think the classic yeah lucky is that is is le Mans with the the aero bars and the and tour de france and fignon sticking with the tried and true kind of cut off drops yeah, flipped upside down knowledge. right well Kicking guys the old school knowledge here guys right? thanks 1988 thanks for letting me jump in here and and get your ear for a second uh keep it up and um hey super van there's one thing i'd like to say Okay. is you know what at heart we're all super fans we all started exactly. off as a super fan and we're all super fans now so thank you for your input and your questions yeah no problem that's yeah. so awesome hey i think we should go into um we should talk about tomorrow's stage but first i want to i want to say hey bobby do you you hate shocks right when you when you mention shocks you say there was a little you're like you know bikes with the this the that and the shocks Oh, no way, man. If, if I ever would have ridden Peru Bay, I would have had shocks on. And I saw that Pinarello came out with a bike that had front and rear kind of mm. independently smart shock technology for Roubaix. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I would do Roubaix if I had a bike like that. So, so no, I'm not a hater at all. I, I would love to have a shock on a bike. So if we get, if we get going, we need to have multiple podcasts. Put your shocks on is just a thought. <laughs> Just a thought. I'm going to say it. Put your shocks um, on just where Bobby J just tests equipment. 
that's the test. I, wait, yeah, that, put your shocks on. Is like when we, when but we, like, but I get to, but but it's me, it's me designing the product, so I get to like put a pair of like, like I have to take existing technology, so I'll take like a mountain bike fork and then put it in a road bike and be like. You put your shocks on, <laughs> and, then, and then he has to—he has to like evaluate my Frankenstein. You guys, technology. you guys work that out because I'm worried for Bobby's safety. But if he's cool, I'm cool. I don't mind. I saw the pictures of those bikes that you and your brother used to put together. Um, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, get the that Frankenstein extreme. bikes. Wait, don't get that extreme. Oh man, we really have to talk about. Yeah, we used to do. That. We used to do that all the time. What are we? What is a? What are the bikes you talk? What? What reference is this? Oh man, oh, my Lockie and I used to like we had this path that we'd race our bikes around around our house when we were really young and we created a formula for it so like we took all the brakes off so they were freewheel brakeless bikes so you couldn't stop them and then we'd put like like there'd be categories so like one bike could have like a 26 inch rear wheel and then like a a, a 16 inch front wheel and like and it would be like a step through frame and then the other one we'd have would have the opposite, so like a small rear wheel, big front wheel. And then there'd be one that had two small wheels. <laughs> First of all, and there's is, none of them had brakes in mid racing. That's it. This is amazing, adorable, or or <laughs> inspirational. But what, why does Bobby know this? Is there like doc, that's a good question? I, I watched oh, yeah, the movie. The, I think it was in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. In the first film, we we we, we do a little throw out. What yeah. film is what film is yeah, that? What film is that, Gus? Thereabouts, which is a cycling documentary that I made with my brother. Where can Thereabouts be found? Where can we find that? Uh, if you just type it into the internet, into Google, on my website, thereabouts.com.au. That's where I thought you, find you were going to be a little more yeah, excited about this plug that I'm trying to... Uh, I get weird about plugging stuff. Uh, yeah, clearly. I do, I, okay, so like my, I, I make films about bikes. You should definitely go and watch them um, because you know, it keeps me gives me something to do <laughs> but yeah anyway so let's talk about tomorrow's stage tomorrow's stage bobby what do we need to know? yeah well hey listen the big big thing about tomorrow is the ladies start racing tomorrow they do yeah so pretty excited about that um they have a three-day race starting thursday friday and saturday doing very similar courses obviously not as long tomorrow for the women mm-hmm. it's ventura to ventura 60 miles uh, about 96k um they have what five five little categorized climbs they're not too difficult yep. but you know they they have action they they have quite the field here because unlike the men's race there's not another world tour race going on at the same time so, so they got the, the, yeah so all the top athletes are here all the top athletes yeah they, there's three former winners here uh, the winner of Flesh Wallone is here. The winner of Amstel mm-hmm. Gold is here. Um, we have a very strong American contingent. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch these ladies uh, rip the, the pedals off the cranks tomorrow. It's going yeah. to be exciting. You know, we got... And it's, we got, it's a good, like, good distance, right? So it's like, because it's going to be far more aggressive, the racing. Um, and, and I think, like, those, those climbs kind of come midway through. Um, but it's a kind of it's a windy run to the finish, so it could be it could kind of go anyway tomorrow, which which, which is going to be cool. Yeah, they start in Ventura, they go out, they do two climbs, um, and then they basically turn around and do those climbs in reverse, coming back. And <coughs> you know, with 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 that distance <coughs> and with the the world spotlight on on them, 
I think we're going to see some amazing racing. So I look forward mm. to breaking that down tomorrow after the stage because, like I said, they're, they're all here and uh, they're yeah. all super mo motivated, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, and then so. for the men, the men have a, another schlog, as you say. Yeah, I think there's uh, a mid-race mid -race stop for a shave tomorrow because the uh, facial hair is going to have grown long enough to, to, to require it. <laughs> 136 <laughs> miles, 220K <laughs> after everything that they've already done. So they're basically, this is the last of the long plus 200K stages. And the last two stages with Baldi and then the finishing stage in Pasadena is a little bit shorter. But um, unlike today... They start in, in Pismo Beach, and unlike today, they don't mm -hmm. hug the coast all the way around. They, they start off with some good climbs, um, you know, probably a breakaway at the beginning with, you know, with that king of the mountain competition being separated between first and third by, I think, two points. You're going to yeah. see probably all three of those guys in that, in that first move. We got, two category, we got two category threes very, very close to each other. I think they're less than five miles from each other. And then starts the category one climb. And then you come back down towards the coast and you have, again, two cat three climbs in, in quick succession. The, the thing it I looks like a little surrounding bit those is a couple of snacks as well, some uncategorized snacks in there just to, uh, to whet the appetite in between that cat one and the last couple. Yeah, I don't think there's many flat roads in that part of the country um, down yeah. there. But one interesting thing that I, I noticed in the profile was, did you see where that last mm -hmm. bonus sprint is? Three miles, three miles or 5K from the finish line. That's interesting. That'll be it's not like really they're running out of room. I only had 200. I've never, I don't think I've... 215 Ks. <laughs> have you ever heard of that before with a sprint? No. A sprint, bonus second sprint, uh, three miles from the end of a race. Yeah, it'll be great. So then all the GC guys can crash again, and then, you know, no one will be left to, to race the finale yeah, on you Saturday. You, you know, it, it, it could be a sprinter stage. I mean, you know, the guys have yeah. you know, obviously put in some long hours on the bike. If they can get over that mm. cat one, they've got 51K to those two little – schnocks as uh people yeah. call them nowadays and then and then what is it uh 30k to the finish from there with that bonus sprint yeah so i think this and it's kind of downhill a little bit from that from those last two climbs as well so i guess more like a relatively big group there'll probably be a couple of sprinters that might get hooped um but i think you'll see the guys that were there today will probably probably be there tomorrow and it all does depend because we're not totally sure on the race results. It could be absolute exactly right, bedlam yeah. out there. It could be, it could be attacks from the gun from the GC guys mm. that lost time today. It could be all over the place. But they're running out of yeah. time. I mean, you know, Baldy. You know, we got to figure that that Pasadena is is going to be a sprinter stage, and there's only yeah. so many guys that can get up Baldy quick. And if a guy like TJ did in fact lose 47 seconds or more today um would they would they be a little bit more aggressive yeah. tomorrow I, I i reckon like he's going to be it's going to be hard to pick up that time and on irrespective of of who you are right nowadays the the time gaps are gigantic so i think that um i think they've got to try something tomorrow and why not like you're so unlucky today um it should you know like yeah i think that they should 
it would be smart to try something, uh, or at least sniff around and see what's up. Like when they took the when they took the race by the reins on on stage two, it made it, you know, and they made the race and they and they caused caused it to split when it probably wouldn't have had they not. So guys, yeah, what I'm not? hearing what I'm hearing is, in spite of the fact that it might it will be because it's categorically mm. a schlog. Um, I think that's our yeah. like, how we refer to yeah. ages of this length. Mm. Um, in spite of its schlogness, there's going to be some racing tomorrow. Is I feel like what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think a breakaway will establish itself. Um, I yeah. think with that category one, I wish that category one climb was a little bit closer to the finish because there is about 32 miles before they hit those those two next categorized climbs. But those two next categorized climbs, which I will uh, term little schnick snacks, um, yeah, those are a perfect launching pad. Those are a perfect launching pad for that final breakaway. So exactly. um, I, th I think we're going to see some action. Um, I hope the super fan doesn't fall asleep again, because I think we're finally going to see some open racing because, you know, there's only so many guys that can get up Mount Baldy. There's only so many guys that can win that final sprint in, in Pasadena. So I think the gloves could come off tomorrow and we could be in for a very exciting stage and changing changing breakaways, a break it and caught another one going with a different combination mm. of guys with a lot on the line because, you know, the guys that the GC guys that did survive today are now elevated yeah. and their teams are elevated to a position of leadership. And exactly. So there's responsibility shifts. There's a lot of responsibility shifts. And when there's a shift in responsibility, it's like, you know, throwing a, uh, a wolf in the, a, a wolf in the hen house or, you know, yeah. so, and it's I like it. A wolf in the hen house. Who's your pick? Who's your pick? Who's your pick? Man, yeah. That's guys put me on the spot here for that one after <laughs> uh, dramatic. I'm gonna go with Askreen. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Askreen. Like yellow jersey. Am I gonna go with Askreen? Yeah, wow, he sprinted that's... really well yesterday. I just actually, I just, sorry, sorry to interrupt, guys. I literally just got a text um, from Lockie that said, yeah, we all got the same time in the end, so it's fine as long as he doesn't, as long as he's not too injured. So that's just literally then. So that's, that's good news. I feel like that's, that's fair. Um, so TJ's now on the same time. So I guess TJ's in, in, the, in the race lead still. Or oh, wow. Askren got time bonuses. Apparently, uh, um, I haven't seen okay. the results, but Lockett's text me that, and so that's good to hear. Um, Speaking I of guess, text, I mean, hey, listen, no one wants a race to be decided by a crash, exactly. especially a crash like that. Yeah, but there are rules. Yeah, exactly. So that's I, my I, I'm very, I mean, I'm very <laughs> curious to see. Um, I don't think any rider would dispute that fact that um, yeah, they should all get top you know, the same time, but is that mm -hmm. the way they do it in every race? Like, you know, is this the That's UCI commissars coming out with a, uh, it depends in air quotes, uh, decision. Totally. Um, totally here, here, here we go there, again. Like, here we go again. Exactly. But, right. I mean, um, and like, exa like exactly right. I think that, uh, that exactly like, you know, personally, like you don't want to see a race go that way, but rules of rules. And I don't know. That's I'm not getting into. It. <laughs> like, no, it's such no. a it's a it's a minefield that. But interesting. Well, at least at least you know. I'm at least, bike, at least the, the bike racing gets to race. And just delete I mean, everything yeah, yeah, that I just said. 
delete everything that I just said because if if Cannon, uh, I'm sorry, if EF is is still in the lead, like they should be, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, then it then it could be a, a breakaway at the finish of you know guys that yeah. are lower down on GC just trying to control it and and keep the powder dry for for Baldy. So wow, yeah, that changes everything. Uh, I wish you would have. Exactly I wish your brother would have. I wish your brother would have texted that, you know, 10 minutes earlier so I didn't have to get all excited about how great the stage is going to be tomorrow. But I'm sure we're going to see some great I was, I was amping up too. We, we started the show with an alternate finish for yesterday's race or today's race. Yesterday's yep. race? Today's race. We started the show with an alternate finish for today's race. So Bobby, it's, Man. It was, it's nice to go out on an alternate sort of like what could have happened for tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Had, had yeah. been the circumstances. They're not the circumstances, but it's nice. It was a good, uh, good op exercise in um, forecasting. Yeah, and Daniel, I have one bit of uh, one suggestion for maybe the rest of the race is that you don't go. How many hours did you ride before you jumped on this podcast? Uh oh, are you? Is this is this criticism? <laughs> no. How how many hours? Did you... <laughs> I did about a, I did about a six hour ride today. Okay, so you're probably low in glycogen. You know, your 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 lucidity is not quite <laughs> spot on. So we got to work on your recovery protocol so that you know you're we're talking mm. about reality and not um, not Sausalito and not fiction. I see yeah. where this is going. Yeah, I think no, we, should, we should we should I'll get initiate, right we should right initiate tomorrow. we need to initiate the pod recovery protocol. Also, it's the PRP. The, I, if you if you have I mean I would listen to you. That's the other thing is if you were like man. You, this and this i did have a smoothie i had a smoothie after but obviously i should have had a larger smoothie hey um gus any texts from the from the from the race <clears throat> a little quiet i must admit a little out? quiet to today's stage um I, that, that text just from Lockie, which just simply read uh he said yeah all good uh he said yeah we all got the same time at the end so it should be fine as long as he isn't too beat up um so that's yeah, okay. That's, that's, that's okay. all I've got. Maybe our um on yeah, everyone, I think Oh, sorry, I was gonna say maybe our in the field correspondent Fred, who's live at the race mm -hmm. right now, uh maybe he'll come back to us with some interviews um that we can put into the with with folks about um today's subject again is aerodynamics. So he'll have some insights from some of the racers uh about aerodynamic aerodynamics. Exactly. Aero is everything. Arrow is everything. I feel like that should just we go out on that. Arrow that's is everything. Exactly. That's yeah. That's the end of the show. Coach Bobby J, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Daniel, a pleasure. I remembered to put my socks on this morning. What about you guys? My socks are on. My socks are always on. I mean, they're not always on, but they're on today. <laughs> Ciao. Vela News Voices is a new multimedia platform featuring a collection of cycling luminaries, each with their own distinct point of view and channel. Coaches, athletes, movers and shakers, visionaries, the old guard, the new guard, the vanguard. Vela News Voices is how and where the story of our sport is being told now and into the future. Fizzo is hosted by Bobby J and Gus Morton. Produced by Manual for Speed, edited by Eddie Rogers, and a special thanks to our anonymous superfan. Don't forget to share, follow, and subscribe on SoundCloud. Okay, 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 okay.